It is a, a real joy to greet all of you on behalf of the seminary as well. Just thank you so much for being here. I, I really related your point, Jessica, about kind of the overwhelming. It's like Jessica gave an altar call and 500 people came forward. <laughs> uh, and we want to incorporate you into this community in every way. And so we do want to uh, find many ways to get to know you. And right now, look out and see a sea of faces. I don't know you, but there will be a time when we will know you. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. I, uh, part of our tradition is that all of you get invited over to the president's home. And so we have that normally tonight, but because of the rain and when it dry out, we're going to do it tomorrow night. So my wife, Julie, is right here. Julie, would you give everybody a wave? This is my wife, Julie. Um, so thankful for her. And we are looking forward to having you over to our home. We're going to have barbecue and have a lot of fun. And I'll get to meet all of you face to face. Have you ever read something that when you read it, you knew that you would never, ever forget it? I mean, we don't often actually have that experience, but I had that experience 40 years ago. Can you believe that? 40 years ago, I was, I was the first, I was a seminary student, like I was sitting where you're sitting, and I had this experience where I read an uh, editorial in Christianity Today magazine. And this particular editorial was this person who was clearly upset, and he was talking about an article that had happened the previous month, which I admit I don't recall. It's not in my you know, mental palace or whatever, but I do remember this editorial uh, letter he wrote into the editor. And he basically said that he was really, really upset with this article because it talked about some of the uh, liberal scholars' latest doubts about the New Testament, the authority and the authenticity of the New Testament. And he went on about how this was terrible, and he said, you know, I don't remember the exact words of this part, but basically he said, I just know, I don't know any Greek or Hebrew, that kind of stuff, he said, but I know that they're dead wrong. And then he said something I've never forgotten. And this is the part I won't forget. He says, to these scholars... I'm probably just a simple-minded fool, but I'd rather be a fool on fire than a scholar on ice. <laughs> I thought, wow, I've never forgotten that. I'd rather be a fool on fire than a scholar on ice. Now, that's a pretty tough choice, isn't it? Wow. I kind of understand, obviously, his feelings, but there's assumption behind it which often puts against each other a warm heart and your brain and your head. I'm sure you've heard the, the joke of the seminary joke. If you haven't already heard it, you will, believe me, where someone finds out, one of your neighbors or friends or your family found out, you're going to seminary. And they say, to you, oh, you're going to cemetery. <laughs> Surely you've heard that by now. If not, you will. The idea, of course, behind that is some another coming to seminary is like a deadening experience. You know, you're going you're to check, you know, check your heart at the door. Give up your, your, your love for Jesus, your devotion to the gospel, your desire to, to just overflow with that to the world. Well, brothers and sisters, welcome to Asbury Theological Seminary where scholarship is on fire. Amen. Welcome to Asbury, where the life of the mind enlarges the heart. 
and the devoted heart helps us capture the mind of Christ. This is the place where, as John Wesley said, where sound learning and vital piety come together in a nuptial embrace, a wedding. It's about being one, fully whole as a person. If you ever entered a degree from Asbury Seminary, and it does happen, people do pass through here and actually have degrees at the end. Some of you on the two-year plan, some are on the three-year plan, some are on the 10-year plan. But eventually, people do come through. If you do graduate and have that degree, you will have this rare, but sometimes just shockingly rare, this blessed bond between heart and head, which God has called us to. It's been historically called the Asbury Experience. You're not being called to check your brain at the door. You're not being called to give up your devotion to Christ. You're not even being called to keep the two in balance. This is not about balance. This is a marriage. This is seeing how each actually fuels the other. Hearts of flame, as Wesley said, with the love of God, having the mind of Christ. And think about Wesley's own life. Here's a man uh, who got up in the morning, spent an hour in prayer. He goes out. He spends time uh, feeding the poor in a food ministry. He then goes and takes the late morning to spend time studying his Greek New Testament. He then he goes out and he preaches the gospel to unevangelize. And at nighttime, he's at the brickyards at dusk. Now, that's my kind of man. How about you? That's who I want to be. I want my head, my heart, my hands, everything to be united in service to Christ. Our text this morning, 1 Peter, we meet this, again, this wonderful man that we've met in the Gospels, where Peter's a person, as you know, who he led with his heart. But he also learned to bring his mind into devotion to Christ. I mean, Peter's the one, remember, who said, you know, Lord, the others will deny you, but I never will. How'd that work out? Oh, Lord, you know, if you're going to wash my feet, wash my whole body as well. I mean, this is a man of passion. And yet Peter also, in fact, this epistle, as much as any New Testament, really brings out the power of your mind. And this is the text that says, or this is the book that says, you know, you know prepare your mind for action. And this text here where, Paul, where Peter begins by saying in the very first uh, part of this, he talks about, he begins in verse 15 with the sanctified heart. Okay, in verse 15 he says, in your hearts sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord. This is where we get the word sanctification from. Now what he's saying here is that he is saying, you know, Lord, give me an undivided heart. It's one of the few texts that's found in all strands of Scripture. Give me an undivided heart I may fear your name. God does want to do something in your heart. A, a redirection of your heart. And I assume everyone here has been justified, but there's some of you who've never really experienced the second half of the gospel, where the Holy Spirit comes into your life in a powerful way and redirects your heart so sin is not your secret lover but your mortal enemy. Amen. There is something that has to happen, not just in your head here, but in your heart. And this is one of the gifts of Asbury Seminary. Peter 
understood that faith for him is not simply something that's hidden his heart, but it fills the whole front of his life. It's something you do, not just something you have. It was, it was faith that caused Peter to save the lame beggar uh, in that day when everyone was just passing by. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I given to you, rise and walk. Do you have a place in your theology for that? Think about it. I haven't heard that too often in church today. Oh, yeah, we'll take, we'll take your silver and gold, but, you know, what about the rise and walk? How about the call faith of Abraham to leave his land, his people, and go to the new place God had called him? Now, there, that's where you are. Because nobody, well, maybe one or two, I don't think hardly anybody here is from Wilmore. We have a complete import population. All of you picked up somewhere, somewhere packed your bags, and you left and you found yourself in Wilmore, Kentucky. When I became president of Asbury in 2009, I had never been to Wilmore, Kentucky. And people were shocked. Like, you've never been? Why would I come here? I mean, <laughs> unless this is your destination, you don't kind of just pass through Wilmore, right? I came here on faith like you did. And there's a subway here. <laughs> we have a Chinese restaurant, you know, it's okay. It's faith that caused Rahab to hide those spies under the flax. She feared God, and she did that, and God honored her. It was faith in the, in the fingers of those four men who brought their paralytic friend to Jesus, right? And it was faith that caused them to claw their way through the bread, mud, and bricks. That was faith at work. You see, it pervades the whole of our lives. And then Peter talks about, secondly, the, not just the sanctified heart, but the solidified mind in verse 15. He says, always be prepared to give an answer or defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. It's the word here, apologion, where we get the word apologetics from. This is where Paul said, Peter says, you must be prepared. First chapter 1, verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Gird your minds for action. Always be prepared. Of course, Peter was warming himself by the fire one night, and he was tested. He denied Christ three times. And I think he learned a huge lesson there. You know, think about it. All across our culture, the crock is crowing, reminding us of our own daily denials of Christ. And we are called for a new engagement. Let's face it. There's no longer a Christian kind of cultural consensus in America. This is not the culture of your grandparents. You're facing some very, very new challenges. And we have to think differently and prepare differently. You are actually going into one of the fastest growing mission fields in the world. This is a huge challenge for us, a world of post-truth, alternative facts, fake news, the Twitterization of all discourse. And I tell you, if you were to get you know, in your car and you would be given a, a year of time to travel across this country and listen to a sermon every week across the entire country, from one coast to the other, what would you experience? Well, 
You would hear a lot of sermons which would require a lot of goodwill to get through. You would hear sermons prepared which assume faith and trade on that and many, many troublesome questions and people's deep angst and pain and huge cultural challenges that we're facing are left unanswered. One of the most popular realities in our church today is when pastors have anything that's remotely controversial, they just go silent about it, which teaches people that the church is irrelevant because we don't talk about anything that anybody else is talking about. These are huge challenges. You would hear an extraordinary amount of bland moralizing, cute stories, and a few funny jokes. And you'd meet a lot of nice people. But, brothers and sisters, that is not what I want you to go into. We need a whole new generation to completely think differently about what it means to completely encounter the God, this culture with the gospel in fresh ways. We have churches from our church planning network that currently meet in tattoo parlors, in uh, pubs, in uh, a Home Depot break room. We have to think differently. We have to think differently. I mean, how can you lament when you're sitting in a sanctuary that's been renamed the Celebration Center? We have lament we have to engage into. The liberals may have taken pride in debunking the miraculous of which we uh, you know, decry, but let's be honest, evangelicals have found many ways to trivialize the gospel, turning the entire gospel into a consumer commodity, reducing the entire grand gospel into a privatized faith journey. You're preparing to enter a leadership into a church which has drunk deeply from the poison wells of a market-driven, consumeristic, domesticated church. Oh, we are great at assessing where people are culturally, but we are very, very weak in saying where we should be culturally. We have a lot of homework to do. If there ever was a prime directive, by the way, where's Rob? I'm a Star Trek fan, okay? Love Star Trek. One of the great moments, and this I think is true for all the Star Trek franchises, the prime directive. You know the prime directive? Okay. Nobody knows the prime directive? Okay. All right. Got me scared there for a minute. The prime directive in the church today, in the evangelical church, is this. Well, ask this question. What is the least one has to do to become a Christian. Now that is not the biblical prime directive. For us, we want the gospel to fill the whole frame. That's what this whole text is about. We're not asking people, we're not preaching a minimalistic gospel, a domesticated gospel that won't get the job done. We need the whole gospel for the whole world. There's nothing else we'll do. It is wrong to try to get as many people as possible to acknowledge as superficially as allowable a gospel which is theologically unsustainable. Amen. It was Soren Kierkegaard who said the truth when he said, Christianity is the profoundest wound that can ever be inflicted upon us, calculated on the most dreadful scale to collide with everything. Christianity is meant to wreck your life. And then God's going to rebuild it again. It's going to be beautiful. But we have to accept 
that what God has called us to is transformational, not just an add-on over here, like an app we download, our Sunday morning app. It's something transformational. And Asbury Seminary exists to prepare you for this, not in a detached way, but a deeply formational, engaged way. You're about to embark on a spiritual, intellectual, formational voyage. This is not going to be a cruise ship where your every need is met. This is going to be some ardor, some challenging, a challenging voyage, voyage a place of self-sacrifice, of self-denial. This is the place where you will you know, claw your way through uh, the great New Testament, but there you'll see afresh the face of God. It is here that you'll stay up late one night reflecting on some, maybe even discussing with your uh, one of your sweet mates or whatever, your friends, a deep theological problem and challenge, and you'll find the gospel renewed in your own heart. It's here that many of you will preach the gospel for the first time in like one of your preaching classes, but you'll discover the power of being a co-laborer with God in the world. It's a great gift. That'll happen here. Finally, Peter calls us not just a sanctified heart and a solidified mind, but a sensitized witness. Verse 15, he said, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. You know, this culture is not prepared. They, they can resist almost anything we throw at them. Anything, any kind of arguments, whatever, but they cannot resist the power of love. This culture is desperate for love. Desperate people with a word of reconciliation, a word of hope. Think of how this culture, I mean, the one thing that seems to be agreed on by every spectrum across the political divide in red states, blue states, da, 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 all of that, is that our culture's in trouble. Like, everybody seems to know that this is not our cultural golden age. You're facing we're facing difficult challenges, and it is the gospel which can bring a word of hope. The power of love is powerfully transformative. And we can approach these things with gentleness, respect, with a clear conscience. This is not the time. We cannot reach this generation with a business-as-usual approach. We cannot reach this generation with a pastor-as-comfortable career option approach. We cannot reach this generation with, you know, climb the denominational ladder approach. We cannot reach this generation with, I'm going to be preoccupied with my parsonage, my pension plan, and all of that. We have to have a deep commitment that is absolutely sold out where your life is a sacrificial fire for Jesus. There's nothing else that will do it. This culture will not be changed with anything else but people sacrificing for the gospel. God's calling you to be street lights, not sanctuary lights. That's what the calling is. These are the days of Perpetua from Carthage, who, although nursing a child, she was willing to stand in the arena and be devoured by lions than to give up her faith in Jesus Christ. One of the first great Christian martyrs, Perpetua of Carthage. These are the days of Athanasius, the great Alexandrian bishop who saw the whole church embracing Arianism 
and he stood up for the, against the whole world, it seemed like. He called him Athanasius Contramundum, Athanasius against the world. And he said to the church, you got it wrong. You got to go back to the text again. Some of you will have to stand up against your church itself and call them back to biblical fidelity. Now, you may not know who Perpetual is or Athanasius, or, but you will. <laughs> These are the days of Augustine. The whole empire is collapsing. Rome is sacked. And somebody had to write the city of God. There are books that, can't, that have not written, that must be written, that only you can write. Your generation, you prepare to write a book that we need. And that's why you're here. These are the days of Martin Luther where the church had lost its prophetic voice and Luther had to have the courage to wade out in the river and say, yeah, I can do no other. We need that kind of courage today. We must have Christian courage. These are the days of John Wesley who preached himself out of every pulpit in England. And that's when he declared, I, therefore, the world is my parish. This is the kind of faith we need. So welcome to Asbury Seminary, where head and heart go hand in hand, where you're not being sent out of the world to be a fool for Jesus, though they may regard us as fools. You're being sent out as scours on fire. May God help you to prepare and equip in this place so we can someday go out to this culture and give them heaven. Amen. Worship band, please come. Lead us in worship. Thank you.